I'm Pat Hyben, and over the past 25 years, I've sold over 7,000 homes, selling over a billion dollars in volume. In 2010, I sold my team business to my top agent and went on book tour promoting my book, Six Steps to Seven Figures, a real estate professional's guide to building wealth and creating your destiny. That book went on to become a New York Times bestseller. Now I live off the passive income streams from the real estate I bought with commissions I earned as a full-time agent. And I am committed to giving back to the real estate industry as so many mentors of mine have given back to me. On this show, we'll interview the world's best agents, brokers, coaches, and investors to help you make more commissions and create the life you deserve. Okay, Rockstar Nation, we have a great guest today who has risen meteorically, I don't want to say that, like a meteor, meteor-like, from Timonium, Maryland, Mr. Josh Mente is on the line, and so without further ado, Josh, welcome to Real Estate Rockstars, buddy. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate you having me on the show. Hey, hey, Josh, why don't you give everybody a little rundown on yourself so they can get to know you better? Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously I run a real estate team here in the Timonium area in Maryland and uh, have three kids, a wife, uh, a couple other businesses, and just, you know, just trying to find time to do it all. Wow. Okay, so let's let's get some nitty gritty here. So, like, how many houses did you and your team sell last year? We had 308 transactions last year. Okay, and what was your ECI on that, your ego commission income? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the uh, the gross ego commission was uh, just a little bit north of one point three million. All right, one point three million. What was your net profit? We were at twenty eight percent profit margin. Uh, it was around three hundred and twenty thousand. So three twenty. And what's your LTI? You're left to invest after you pay all your personal bills. Uh, I am running around seventy five thousand a year. Okay, seventy-five grand a year, and seems like you're doing a lot of investments with that seventy-five. And I want to dig into that as we go along. But first, how long have you been in the business? Eight years, two thousand eight. I decided to get my license when tumbleweeds were rolling down the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the streets, and nobody wanted to buy homes. When people you know? were like, "Holy dirt!" You know. <laughs> okay, so tell me about that then. Two thousand eight. Take me to to your first year. How many houses did you sell your first year? So I got my license in July of 2008. So 2008 was just kind of building a pipeline. I sold a couple. It was somewhere around 10 homes. In my first year in 2009, first full year, I sold 75 homes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody listening was thinking, okay, I wonder this guy probably is going to say he sold three homes. So how did you sell 75 homes your first full year? So I was blessed to have a a guy contact me and beg me to get my license because he didn't like the uh, realtors in Baltimore to uh, send business to. He was uh, working in an REO department of a bank. And after about three or four phone calls over the course of a couple months, I finally relented and said, I don't really have anything going on anyway. And the economy's in the 
the crapper, so to speak. So I'm just going to go ahead and you know wing it and see what I can do and build it from there. Wait, 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 wait. So wait, it started wait, wait. with that. What, what were you doing? Like, how did you know this guy? What were you do? What was your background? Did you have a salary job? And how did he know you? So I was. Um, uh, I started in the mortgage business when I got out of college in 1998 for a local Baltimore bank, and then I went over to being an outside sales rep for a national subprime lender. And all the while, I was side hustling, flipping homes, you know, buying properties, fixing them up, rehabbing and selling them in uh, downtown Baltimore. So through this, he was actually a manager of mine at the first place I ever worked. And through that, we went our separate ways. And then over time, he found himself as a manager in the subprime world. And when that imploded in 2006 and seven, they switched him over to the REO department I was just flipping homes and I was wrapping that up because it looked like the world was going to end. So I was actually unemployed. I was self-employed unemployed uh, due to factors in the uh, market. Okay. So you were like a middleman for the the subprime lending industry or this subprime bank, right? So you would go to uh, mortgage officers or you or mortgage officers would call you and you would do mortgages for them. You were kind of like, they would broker the deals to you, right? Yeah, so I work for um, uh, those that had the gold, right? So like basically, I was an outside rep for one subprime company. I would go into mortgage brokers' offices, and they didn't have any money to lend, so they needed to uh, broker it to whoever may have the best deal, best terms, best rates, best situation for their clients. So I would just, like an outside sales rep, go in, make relationships, build rapport, uh, business to business kind of stuff. And, you know, my last year in business, I walked away before the business imploded. I think I did a hot, fi- over 500 transactions for $150 million in volume. Wow. And, and uh, okay, so let me get this straight. So why'd you walk away before doomsday? How, how lucky was that? And what was, what was the impetus for that? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people would say I either have the Midas touch or, you know, I knew something that others didn't. The truth of the matter, I wasn't happy with the job anymore. I didn't like the direction that it was heading. I didn't like where the industry had gotten to. It was more of a more unethical thing than it was anything else and just burn out. And I was like, I'm just going to go swing hammers and rehab properties and be done. Really? And then and then you started buying stuff to flip. Now, did you, you know, when mar- when markets crash with flippers, it's like a musical chairs, right? A game of musical chairs. If you ever play musical chairs, the music stops they take away one of the chairs, and then one of the players is out of the game, you know. And I know 2008, 9, 10, you know, chairs kept getting pulled out of the game, and flippers started to die in the game. So what happened with you? So, you know, I, w- I, I was blessed to actually get trained by a local um, federally chartered savings bank that did asset-based lending. So they always taught me how to evaluate the real estate in and of itself. So the good news was, as things were heading down, I was able to unwind what I was doing, but I was smart enough not to double in. Like, oh, okay, now instead of that property I could have bought for 100 it's now at 90 I was actually like, I need to pause and wait. And what happened was, and what I saw happening, was the values were falling faster. So like, if it took me three months to rehab, it might have gone down 15% in value, like uh, from your ARV. So I couldn't really predict what we're going to sell property for, so I just shut it down. After how long? I was fully divested. I saw this coming in early 2007. By the first part of 2008, I didn't have any more property left to sell. So mm. I have a lot of friends in the in that business that actually 
didn't survive it, at least at that point, or had to, you know, file bankruptcy and whatever else might have happened because they were trying to double down through it. I just made the choice not to. And then I re-entered the marketplace and started buying property again. One in 2009, 10 in 2010, <laughs> you know, two dozen in 2011 because I could see what was happening and that we were getting closer to the bottom and I could make more sense of what was going on. And, and these were flips? Yeah, yeah, all flips. So you just paused basically, right? Yeah, just like a because like, I didn't know where it was going. I mean, it really looked like it was Armageddon. Like we actually might have the second Great Depression. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you? Here's a question because I think a lot of investors and people in our game suffer from this disease, and that is, it's very hard to sit back and wait. You know, if you have a million dollars, you want to spend it. You know, not necessarily on you know uh, Gucci watches and cars, although that's true with a lot of agents, but uh, not you know not invest it to be able to sit on it and say, eh, I can't make the numbers work. I'm not going to do it. How did you do that? It all it goes, goes back to the, the root of Eastern Savings Bank. I mean, they taught me like just uh, the fundamentals, right? So if the fundamentals aren't right, if it didn't feel right in my gut, I just didn't do it. It was more of a function of just analytical. That's how my brain kind of works. So I, if I can't see it on paper, if I can't see that it works – uh, you just don't buy it. And, and I guess the cliche you can use is, you know, the greatest deals you do make are the ones that you don't. Right. Whoa, so holding, holding, holding to your guns and just buying when right, not for the sake of buying. OK, so that was eight years ago. Right. You, when you got out or whatever. And then you started buying 2010. You bought 20 houses. Now, did you flip those? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I am uh, flipped probably over the course from 2001 till 2016 i've been parts of close to 200 flips wow and in in addition to that you started building a real estate team how'd that happen so when i got in uh in 2008 and then in 2009 um i had more business i knew how to handle i hired out of pain i just literally was like looking around i just need help i need a body you know like okay so where does that go then i was able to leverage things off my plate, make a couple of phone calls, found more. It doubled. I'm looking for another body by late 09 going, oh gosh, I just have more work than I can handle. So I started building the infrastructure of a business to perform on it um, as I was functioning in the business development role. And that's just kind of how it started to grow. And then for me, I looked at it short term because I didn't think that the bank owned business was going to last forever. Uh, and here we are today, still a part of my business, selling about the same amount of properties I sold all through the years uh, on a year-by-year basis. And I slowly started to, by 2012 and 13, start to scratch my head and go, hmm, I guess this is an actual business and something I can create into a business. So then started to work on uh, building marketing, building sales teams, all kinds of different things like that. It's been a natural progression. What's really neat about this uh, latest run-up, meaning the run-up from say 10 or run up from really from 11 to today has been that there's been a lot of agents like yourself that weren't even licensed in the last run up, you know, and have created these businesses that outcompete agents have been in the business 30 or 40 years. And it's fascinating to watch. I love it how you have uh, such an analytical mind And of course, the question that comes to mind, and I know people are driving down the road right now thinking the same thing. Okay, Josh, so, you know, you made several 
dead on predictions. You stopped investing at some certain point. You went full in at some certain point. What are the fundamentals say today? Well, truthfully speaking, it feels like 2005 all over again. And I see it from different angles. I have, we deal with investors. I have an investor specialist on our team that we're pretty heavy into. I sell bank properties. We have a retail um, presence. We put 10 properties retail, not REO, on the market over the last two weeks, and all but one of them are under contract and gone. All the signs, the, the, the fever is happening. So the difference is, at some point, hopefully it'll just level off. I don't know what the future holds as far as the market goes. I'm not a pessimist, nor I'm an op- optimist. I'm more of a realist. Like, I, this looks and feels and smells like it. You know, so therefore it probably is because the only good thing about getting older is gaining wisdom. And if I don't use that wisdom, you know, what have I done? So what are you doing about it? So, you know, here's what's happening. Basically, I have a foot in the uh, bank owned game, right? So if markets does shift, if it does shift the other way heavily, um, then I'm there and I just ramp that back up and I know how to scale and grow that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why I'm keeping it as part of my business. We're capitalizing on investors because there's a lot of them out there that are trying to buy property and scoop up rentals and rehabs. We are relisting a bunch of properties for um, people right now. Uh, But the end goal is if it really heads south in the other direction, we're going to ramp up very quickly a short sale division to capitalize on short sale listings. Other than that, we are basically, you know, full steam ahead, mining the fort, looking at our expenses, making sure that what we have is tight and right. And then just make sure we plan and keep an eye on the fort, you know, make sure that as rates rise, as things kind of start to cool off, because just their intent, right? Because this can't stay heated up like this forever, that we basically kind of hopefully come in for a soft landing. And if we don't, I have the experience and wisdom to kind of head in the other direction and deal with the defaults and all the other stuff that goes with it. Yeah. So zig when they zag. Correct. And you're, you're, the cool part is you're already thinking ahead right? You're already thinking ahead. Like most people just say, oh my God, it's going to go away. And they hope it just goes away and hope it gets better or convinced that, you know, it's slow this week or it's slow this month, right? And generally those months or weeks, you know, last longer than a month or week. And, uh, you know, so at what point then does Josh Menti say, you know, all right, let's shift gears. Let's start doing short sales. Let's start trying to get some more REO accounts. I mean, what kind of metrics, what kind of, what are you going to be looking for? So what we're what I'm personally keeping my eye on is the way, the amount of days on market, uh, the way that things are hitting the market and coming off the market, because as our inventory grows, if it does, it'll be key indicators because what you'll start to see most likely Inventory levels grow. Uh, price compression happens through cannibalization. You know, you want to be the first out, not last, right? Holding the bag. If it okay, so actually slow does. this down. Price compression happens through cannibalization. Explain it. So if you have four sellers in a neighborhood and now through low rates, the um, inventory is bled off in a faster than normal pace. And mm-hmm. now we have right now, in our market, less than a four-month inventory, yep. or right about a four-month inventory, which means that in four months, it, all the houses would sell based on you know current today. But what will happen is uh, the buyer's pool will shrink a little bit, mm-hmm. so that will start to grow. And as that happens, then the sellers start to undercut each other's prices, and then that's where the compression can happen. I'm not saying it will, but that's what happened. In oh, basically, I see. Right. Yeah. 
and we, start saying, I'm going to drop the price. Right now, they're kind of almost definitely not conscious, but there's an unconscious antitrust in, in all the sellers in the neighborhood. And they're all saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to get 450 And he's like, I'm going to get 455 and I'm going to get 460 right? And they're all there. And then they're waiting. No one wants to be the first one to drop, right? Yep. And then one of them says... <laughs> 420 and then the next one says 415 the next one says 410 is that what you mean uh, yeah or something along those lines or somewhere in between that right so we're at 450 it goes to 445 that person then says i want to <laughs> sell first i'll go to 440 never mind i'm we're going to fight it out and duke it out until it goes because really if there's say seven buyers sitting on a fence waiting for that neighborhood one house comes on what we're seeing now is multiple offers things going over asking but the reverse happens if you have seven houses one buyer that buyer has the ability to choose between, and price is usually the, the inhibiting factor. And in, in the other respect, it becomes the reason why someone jumps on something. Right, right. So I want to talk to you about your investor specialist, because this is something you're doing that not a lot of people are doing. Tell me about this. So that's a great question, Pat. And you know what? I don't know a ton of people that are doing it either. There are a couple teams that have it as a component. But basically what happened was we get a ton of leads coming in on a monthly basis from newbie investors, A, B, and C investors, people interested in our bank-owned properties is really where it started. So instead of having, uh, you know, we have 12 agents on our team, 10 buyers agents, two listing specialists. Um, instead of having them deal with it and fragment it across the board and have to teach everybody how, you know, the fundamentals of, of real estate investing and things like that. I really grabbed a guy that I'd known very well and, and had some experience and kind of molded him in that position. We funnel all the investor leads to him. And he does daily marketing, off-market, non-market properties, and just tries to get in front of as many investors as possible to sell them product either for rentals or for uh, flips. And then the converse relationship of that is that we now have relationships with investors and ask for uh, the relist on their flips. Hmm. And so give me some like meat and potatoes that people can use. How can somebody tell between a wannabe investor and a real investor? Well, uh, first, I, I believe explicitly that you have to ask open-ended questions. So like in anything across the board, you know, the conversation would go something like, you know, so tell me about your experience, you know, and then they would go down the road of that. How many houses have you flipped? Then you go down the road of that. Uh, you say you're a cash buyer, but tell me a little bit more about that, you know, and you start asking questions like that. And eventually they'll get to the point where you can start to dissect and discern what their experience level actually is and how um, realistic are they to actually execute based on past and present. So their ability to actually fund deals in a competitive market, plus what is their past experience being the probably predominant indicator of, of, of future experience as well. And, and so let's say they, they're not experienced. Let's say they say, well, I got a home equity loan and I was thinking about using it to buy a property and renting it out. I mean, I'll tell, I'll tell you what, why don't we, um, would you mind role playing this with me? Sure. Okay. So I'm an invest. So I'm calling you about an investment property that you have and, um, or a house that is a bank owned property. Okay. Let's just go ahead. Ring, ring. MD home team. How may I help you? Hey, okay, I'm calling about the house on Umpty Ump Street. I see that uh, it's on Zillow for two seventy nine dollars I'm an investor, and I'm thinking about uh, buying it and renting it out. What else can you tell me about it? 
That's great. Awesome. How long have you been investing for? This would be my first rental property. Oh, cool. So you have a day job? Yes, I do. I'm an accountant. Oh, an accountant. Awesome. So you have a lot of uh, clients that you work with or what interests you? What, what's piquing your interest to come into the space and, and try this for the first time? You know, everyone is, is uh, real estate is a great asset, as you know, you know, with the appreciation and the depreciation and the principal pay down and, the, uh, you know, all these benefits that I can get from it. And um, I know the interest rates are really low. So I was going to, you know, get a loan and, and make some free money. Oh, well, cool. If you know where free money is, let me know because I'd like to get some of that too. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of hard work that goes into this. So, so tell me about what you know about investing. Are you looking to do uh, rental properties for passive income? Or are you trying to create short-term income through renovating homes and reselling them? I'm going to keep it and rent it out. Oh, great. So have you thought much about who's going to manage it and how that's going to happen? I'm going to manage it myself. Cool. So do you have experience? You have somebody in the family or you've been reading books or tell me a little bit about your experience with that. I've read a couple of books and I've listened to a couple of podcasts and it doesn't seem too hard. Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely ups and downs with it. You know, you're probably naturally gifted with it, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, we have a ton of experience and, you know, can definitely help you along that direction. So have you identified any neighborhood specifically? Or are you just looking for uh, returns. Do you have performers that you work from? Uh, tell me a little about what kind of return you're looking for. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, I, what, like, what do you think this house will rent for? The house we're talking about specifically, I can dig into the market a little bit further and try and figure out. Generally speaking, at these price points, uh, based in our market, that the the position that you would be acquiring the property for depends on uh, how you go about financing it. So, are you going to finance it or pay cash for it? Because we can look at it on a cash-on-cash cash return. We can also look on it uh, based on the amount of skin you have in the game and what the return would be based on that. Whoa. I don't know what uh, what you just said, but um, to answer your question, yeah, I would I would be getting a loan on it. I'm not going to pay cash for it. Oh, okay, great. So so have you been pre-approved for financing yet? No. Okay, so how do you plan on financing the property? I was just going to go to a bank and say, you know, I want to buy this house and rent it out. I was under the impression it wouldn't be too hard nowadays. Yeah, well, it, it is a little bit easier than it was, say, five or six years ago. But uh, there are some parameters, and it's still going to require some some cash out of your pocket, depending on how you do it. There are several different avenues that I can help you open doors for, from hard money to private money, help to teach you how to do that. And as well, we can also talk about um, uh, traditional uh, funding, which requires anywhere from 20 to 30 percent down, depending on your credit picture. So do any of those call out to you uh, or do you have the amount of money to facilitate the traditional transaction or are you willing to park that much money into a long-term asset? Wow. Again, you're, you're way over my head, dude. I just want to, um, I was just looking to buy it and rent it out. Cool. Well, I tell you what, we have an investor specialist on our team. Uh, we help people in your situation like this all the time. Would you be interested in coming in and sitting down and not talking just about this property, but also how we may be able to serve you uh, on all the different properties that we have listed across the board? Uh, no, I just was curious about this one house. Okay. Well, what I'm trying to do is build a foundation for you, right? So what we're trying to do is help you along this way to eliminate mistakes. And you know, part of that is trying to understand your situation. The other part is also trying to teach you. So 
what we have to do is make sure that you're ready, willing, and able to buy. We know that you're ready. We know that you're willing. But the able part is what we have to get to the bottom of, right? So everything from how you're building this, because this shouldn't be just a spur of the moment, hey, I'm going to buy a rental property, uh, no money down kind of situation. This is something where you have to fundamentally think out um, your way through it. So we'd love to help you. Uh, but in order to do that, the next step would be just coming in and talking to us, and uh, we can take a look at everything that's available to you. Okay, Joshua, well, I'll get back to you. Thank you, Pat. So uh, tell me what happened there. So basically, through all the questions, I was basically trying to discern whether or not he has experience, how he's going to be able to actually facilitate the transaction. And then is he just kicking tires or is he really serious about trying to learn how to do this and do it right? And also, the other side of it is, look, we deal with a lot of people and we do this on a high level. So we're willing to lend our time to people who are serious about actually taking the time, right? So there's a different side to it where if he really wanted to see that property, we owe it and have a fiduciary responsibility to our seller to show that property. So that would have happened regardless of the situation. But in the end, what we're trying to do on the investor side of stuff is develop people who are going to buy multiples who are in it and understand it because we really, you know, our fiduciary responsibility to them is to make sure that they set themselves up as best they can for the future. Mm-hmm. And I guess by asking him all the technical questions, which certainly I understood, but but you know I think most investors or most wannabe investors aren't going to know what you're talking about. You did that on purpose, right? You you used big words and you you talked about cash on cash return and things like that because you wanted to kind of scare him, right? To to weed him out, and if, and and if he says, hey, you know, I need a fifteen percent cash on cash return, then at that point you might need might not need to see him face to face. You might just you know, Correct. trust him enough, right? Right. So then that would have spurred other questions, right? And in that, him being an accountant, you know, my, as you painted the picture, my gut is I can go in on that kind of stuff. But even without that, the answer is basically, if he doesn't know what that is, he probably hasn't done enough research on it anyway. So I can't take it deeper into other theories about how and why and debt snowballing and all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. So how we get to the point of where I, without trying to scare him away without overwhelming him, without trying to do any of those kind of things, is trying to understand what is his knowledge base and judging it based on that. At Rebus University, we seek out the best practices of today's top real estate agents and travel around the world to film them and bring them to you in an educational format. Listen to what one of North Carolina's top REMAX agents has to say about our new certified listing program. Hey, Pat, this is Buddy Blake with REMAX Essential. Uh, It's been a little while since we talked, but I wanted to call you and thank you and your team at uh, Rebus University. We did the listing agent university and listing specialist course. I did it myself months ago, and I will tell you that that was one of the most informative systems I've ever done. It is meat and potato stuff versus the theoretical bullcrap that you see people say and do. And certainly you go to all these conventions and people show you all these whiz-bang new ideas. This was real in the trenches stuff. And uh, I use it myself. And you may not even know it, but we use it for my team. I have a team of about 10. And before I allow buyer agents to take on new listings, 
and become listing agents per se, be able to do listings, they are required to go through this course. Also, we've expanded it out. I have five REMAX offices and we've got over a hundred agents in our company and a good percentage of them are now taking this course as a training program, especially new agents that we've onboard that are brand new into our system. We require them before they can go on their first listing appointment to take and pass this entire course. It is the best thing that's out there right now. And I want to thank you for putting it together. I'm looking forward to getting involved with some of the other courses and really looking forward to maybe a buyer agent course. That would be wonderful. But uh, I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to work with your team. Thank you for taking the time to put it together. It was absolutely fabulous, Pat. Thank you so much. And I just hope you know how much you and your organization means to us. Thank you. For $200 off this program, use coupon code CLA200 at rebusuniversity.com. Yeah, that was good. And and so how many investor calls or emails or whatever does your investor specialist have to go through before he turns uh, one of these wannabe slash real investors into a buyer, do you think? Well, I can tell you specifically, there's two metrics and KPIs that I uh, have a weekly accountability meeting with him for 30 minutes. There you go. Um, One of which that we do is I sit down and I have him focused on the number of offers he's writing. Not, we're not trying to just do quantity, just write as many as you can, but obviously offers that have a chance, you know? So, you know, last month he wrote 26 offers and what we do is we build a conversion percentage off of that, right? So we know that he converts about one in four offers he writes, he actually gets a ratified contract for. Now there's fallout and all kinds of stuff that goes with it. Yeah. And is so that normal? One- I mean, that's 25%. A lot of agents listen and be like, damn, I, you know, I closed every contract I wrote last year. So why is that? So every investor does things differently. They might write a little bit below. There might be multiple offers. It might go over asking all kinds of different reasons. But the real investors always yes. write low balls. No, not always. Really? I always teach people, this is what I say, it's a buy at whatever price you determine, right? So oh. the, the art of the deal isn't getting it a thousand less than what that is. The art of the deal is getting the deal. So if it makes sense and the fundamentals work, do it. And what kind of fundamentals... Let's say let's say I was serious and I had a million bucks cash and I'm going to you, right? And I'm like, Josh, or I go to your investment guy and I say to him, like I would a stockbroker, a financial planner, what cash on cash can you get me on this million bucks? Like what is appropriate now for me to expect? Right. So we'll break it down into two parts. So we take it instead of a million, but one transaction. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to back into your purchase price. So we're going to take the ARV that we can determine. Let's just use round numbers and say that's 200. And ARV is? I'm sorry. (laughs) Thank you. After repaired value. Okay. Um, So basically what it's going to sell for once all repairs are complete. Round numbers, let's say it's 200,000. Okay. So basically what happens is then we say, okay, how much is it going to cost to do the repairs that are going to get to that price? And we say, let's just say sixty. Let's just say seventy thousand. And seventy thousand. Basically, what we do is we take sixty-five uh, percent 
of the ARV, which is 130,000, mm-hmm. right? Is that right? Yes. And then we subtract 70 from it. Uh, this is just round numbers, but yep. this is kind of like a safe way to do it very quickly. Yep. Uh, and now we're down, we could pay 60 grand for the property. If you want to be aggressive, you can mm. go up 70%, which would push you somewhere around 65,000 as a quick litmus test to do it. So what we'd look at is then we take the reverse side of it. We'd say, okay, great, Pat, you're going to be in for 130, 135,000 on this property. Basically when you resell it at 200,000, there's going to be about 9% that goes off the top back out between realtor commissions, transfer taxes, all that kind of stuff. Depending on the neighborhood, we can predict that there'll be some seller concessions as a general rule. And then you work backwards from there. But also on the front side, there is cost uh, that would be through title work and all the other stuff that goes it. Once you add all those numbers up in a percentage, basically it works down to be somewhere around 20% cash on cash if it all works out right. 15 to 20, basically, once you take all the costs out of it. Now, time is a factor in that, right? So if you turn that same money over three times in a year, every four months it turns over, you know, your your rate of return grows for that cash on a yearly basis. Mm. If it takes you a year to do it and you only did one, you know, so time does affect the actual true return. And how hard is it in your market today to do that for somebody? It is a bit more competitive uh, for on-market, on-MLS stuff. Uh, you're seeing most of the things go over asking price that are worth anything. But there's opportunities within these online auctions. There's all different kinds of stuff. We have people that bring us properties to like wholesalers and stuff like that. There's off-market. We get calls you know, to traditionally list property where I've had you know somebody say, hey, I'm in this situation. I just it, – the house – it was trashed by a tenant, you know, just as an example, I want it gone and I want it gone in three weeks. Mm. So no problem. What we're going to do is we'll hold an investor broker, broker open. So what we do is we go into our database and we'll actually like formulate uh, an open house, say for a Wednesday for a one to two hour period. We do marketing to over a thousand investors that are in our database to generate a lot of people come through to hopefully generate multiple offers, hopefully generate a situation, not only where the seller gets their needs met, but we also uh, get a buyer and double end the transaction. And then also as well, uh, hopefully get the relist on the property if it is a flip. So you don't let other agents know about this or do you? So we basically, what we try and do up front in this type of scenario is run it by the seller and say, we have the ability to do this because of the database we have. Mm-hmm. Are you interested in doing it because you want to do it quickly? Yes. Okay, great. Let's sign the listing agreement. Here's what we're going to do. If we can't garner offers here, we're going to put it on the free market. If you don't like the offers you have here, we can always put on the MLS. So the answer is it doesn't always hit the MLS. Yep. Um, it just depends on the situation. So you do it all yourself first, right? And say the benefit to you is, you know, you don't have to have a sign up. You, you know, it's kind of like a, a stealth deal and it'll make the buyer feel like they're getting a stealth deal and they may pay more because they feel like they're getting a secret. And then you, you send out an email to a thousand people or so and be like, hey, we got this off market property. You, you, you say, basically, here it is. You come Tuesday between 5 and 7. That's the only time you were able to see it. So the ones that are serious enough to make it work show up, and you hope to sell it that way and double dip. That is correct. If it doesn't work, then you MLS it, and you can pay another agent a commission. And we still keep trying to get it sold. So sure, sure. We, uh, we generate, and this 
the second part of it was uh, we generate. I know last my accountability meeting yesterday with Ben, and he had 48 new leads. So we are generating about we generate 411 internet leads plus over 60 phone calls, like from calls off signs and stuff like that. Uh, last month alone in February, uh, which is traditionally a slower month. And of that, Ben had 48 of them. So when you're asking how many is he getting to get there, he's building that database every day, right? So we've been building it for two and three years, trying to weed through it, find out who the A, B, and C are. We spend most effort and time on the A uh, because they're going to produce multiple results. Mm. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. What technology are you excited about that you're using well, you got a pretty big team now what technology are you using to keep all you know your team together well that's a great question so for the team itself we just got through building infusionsoft uh, are you familiar with infusionsoft i am and why did you decide to go you know infusionsoft versus a weber mailchimp i mean infusionsoft is the is the most expensive of of them all you know, that's the king and queen. Usually, like, the, the professional spammers use that. So why do you why'd you, why'd you go that route? Well, what we did was we were looking for transaction management software because we're selling, you know, over 300 homes. This year we'll sell over 400 homes. Trying to hold it all together, right, but also automate the process. So what we actually did was took Infusionsoft and repurposed it because of its ability to be intuitive and do um, intuitive marketing. We're doing that basically saying if-then statements. If the appraisal comes back and ends up value, send this email out to the lender, to the uh, buyer, to the you know all the different people. So we're automating the process and tasking through it. So we're building transaction management software, and we just launched it after about six months of development and mm. working through the kinks and the bugs. But it's really just incredible the amount of stuff it takes off of our people's plate. And we're going to be able to do more. Uh, with less. Okay, so, so tell, tell me about this. Essentially, what you're saying is, uh, to, to look at this overall, you're using artificial intelligence to lessen the workload of team members, right? Because the software that you're paying for intuitively knows uh, what to say, when to say it, to whom. So give me some ex other examples. I mean, the appraisal... The underappraisal is a big one because a lot of people be like, oh, shit, you know, if a house underappraised, I want to, I want, you know, I want to be on top of that. I want to be personally involved. I don't want to leave that to a robot. But you're saying it, it does that. And, and what else does it do? So everything from start to finish, it doesn't do everything, but it automates repetitive things. So I'll give you an example. We have a web form uh, that we use to bring contracts in from agents on market as well as members of our team. This comes in through an API integration and basically dumps into Infusionsoft, which kicks off the campaigns that we've built. What it does is grab a copy of the contract, which is saved in Dropbox, mm -hmm. and then does that and attaches it to a templated email that sends it off to the buyer, the seller, depends on what side of the transaction we're on, the other agent on the other side, the title company, the lender, introducing our transaction coordinator to them. Here's a copy of the contract. Let me know if you have any questions. I'll be in touch shortly. So there was five emails that were sent out that need to be sent out through introduction that our person, as we're bringing in three and four and five contracts a day, you can see how that one process, you know, repetitively done over and over again, takes up time. What we're able to do is repetitive things like that that can be sequenced through automated emails and things basically go out. And on the backside of it, things 
off of closing dates. So for instance, and I know that used to be at Keller Williams, we have uh, disbursement authorizations. 10 days before the settlement date, the email goes out requesting internally to the person who handles it in Keller Williams to give us the DA to go to closing. So stuff like that that we can do that just takes things off their plate. And, that, and it took you six months to train the software to do every little thing that you wanted it to do. Yeah, because basically what we did was we re repurposed a CRM and that technology to interface with leads. To We had to kind of uh, reinvent it or, or kind of bend the rules for it to make it work for us. So we're still kind of tweaking it. But just the amount of stuff that it does and the tasking. So like we have two VAs in the Philippines that basically we set it up and when different milestones are hit, it just automatically creates a task that then emails the VAs and tells them what to do. Nobody has to be in touch. And on, the, on those emails, have little videos showing them and have documented processes <laughs> of what that actually is. So it's just automation. And stuff, know, like, your, stuff like your investor guy, right? You, you, you decide you want to you know, a wholesaler calls you and says, you know, Josh, I got this thing here. It's a hundred. I'll give it to you for buck 40. He can just have a little brochure created or just type in some words, pick a date and a time and upload it somewhere. And then all of a sudden, every, every single investor on there is notified, Hey, show up Wednesday, five to seven. Then he doesn't have to do nothing. Absolutely. Yep. Hmm. I haven't heard of anybody doing that. Did you come well, up with this idea? I would love to say uh, that I have an original idea, but usually they're not. <laughs> what I do know is that most people aren't doing it. What they're doing is they're turning to these softwares that are built and built very poorly for transaction management. But there's a, a girl I'm friends with that we have. A, she runs another big team in Baltimore, and we sit down once a month as competitors and just share ideas back and forth. And she was doing it with Salesforce. I looked into it, didn't like the way Salesforce did things. So that started this fact-finding mission for me. How can I do this? What can I repurpose? It just took the blinders off and made me think of things outside of the normal box and how to go about doing it. So then I got in touch with a guy who builds for Infusionsoft because uh, it's a very complex system and said, hey, can this happen? He said, I think so. And then it started conversations and then we just figured out that it, we can – uh, within 90% certainty, get it to do most of what we wanted to do. That, that's crazy. And and so essentially, I mean, you're eliminating one or two employees, right? And saving. So it may cost you a little bit more money uh, every month to use Infusionsoft, but you're probably saving 10, 20 times that amount in salaries. Yeah, especially with the growth plans we have with expansion in mind and trying to get to 1,000, 2,000 transactions a year, it will pay for it tenfold because the economy of scale will ramp up so quick. Wow. Wow. That's good stuff. So Josh, let's wrap this up with our flagship question. And that is this, let's say I took you in your current state with your knowledge and put you on an Island with nine other agents. The one thing in common that you all have is you don't know anybody on the Island, but on the Island, there's a lot of commerce. People are buying and selling things. People are listing houses, selling houses. Each person has a thousand dollars a laptop, computer, and a phone. The way you win the game is you sell more houses than the other agent. So the agent that sells the least amount of houses each week gets thrown off, and after 10 weeks, only one agent is left. How is Josh Minty going to win this game? So my gut says basically what I do is I hire a VA, and 
them to call list is my 500 bucks to spend on because what i need to do is focus on the 20 percent, which is being on appointments and gaining listings and sales so i would hire support and leverage right away because i only have a week to do it and get them grinding it out grinding it out grinding it out while i'm out and what would they be doing so i would get a list like uh for sale by owners expires whatever it might be however we can develop that list based on what that island looks like and then just have them call all the people like we do in business. Yep. And they would just call them and saying, Hey, you know, Josh is a new sheriff in town. Can he come talk to you? Yep. And set appointments for me. So my whole day would be spent in the 20%, you know, just being on appointments, talking to people, building rapport, getting trust and gaining sales. Wow. Love it, buddy. All right, Josh. Well, listen, this has been a great call. I love how your mind thinks and uh, let's continue to uh, talk about things like this in the future. Next time uh, I'm in town, we'll get together and break some bread. Great, Pat. Good talking to you, brother. Thanks for having me on the phone. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. All five-star reviews help us get better and better guests for your listening pleasure. And if you have a great review, I'll read it on the show. We are so proud of this show now with over a million downloads in 79 countries around the world. Also, don't forget to buy my book if you haven't already. Six Steps to Seven Figures, a real estate agent's guide to building wealth and creating your destiny. With an intro by Gary Keller. Sold everywhere online books are sold. You can always go to pathyben.com and find out about all things Pat Hyben. And don't forget to follow me on social media. All you got to do is type in my name. I'm everywhere and easy to find. I hope to meet face-to-face someday. But in the meantime, let's meet on social media. Thanks again for listening and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.